I'm so glad to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you to make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, healthcare. I have several things to talk about, including Amazon One, fees for telehealth appointments, and when you should pay cash. And there are some insurers playing serious, dirty pool with our claims. And later, I got a special warning for you that the FBI has reiterated that I first did on TV years ago about why you don't charge your devices in public. That's a weird one. I'll tell you where the danger lies. So Amazon has decided that it's going to fix healthcare. Healthcare is obviously totally botched in the United States. And we are spending roughly 20% of our nation's output of goods and services on healthcare in the United States. Most developed countries spend about 8%. And so we're using basically two and a half times our national income towards healthcare, and we have inferior returns from other countries. Americans live shorter lifespans. I know I've had a lot of feedback on Clark Stinks over the years when I point out that our lifespans are so inferior to other countries, including undeveloped countries, you know, not the wealthy countries that you think of as our peers. Our lifespans are crazy poor, and that's in spite of this massive spend. We have so many inefficiencies, I, I can't even start. Well, Amazon, that created uh, tremendous efficiencies, obviously, in the delivery of goods, thinks that they have a role to play in healthcare, and they bought One Medical. We had um, complaints from people about Amazon buying One Medical. They'd really enjoyed using it. And for those of you who are not familiar with One Medical, it's a network of primary care offices that you pay an annual subscription to be able to go to, but then you have the continuity of care and you actually get to see somebody. And it's under Amazon's ownership, it's 200 bucks a year. Uh, some people who are prime members will get offers for the first year for uh, various rates less than that, like 149, that kind of thing. But what do you actually get? You get virtual care in text messaging, equivalent to text messaging, or video kind of things, on-demand video chats with a medical professional. And in the One Medical app from Amazon, you're able to request scripts without seeing somebody. They also have traditional offices you can go to and see a doctor. And so this is something that fills potentially a need in the marketplace because, as I talked about before, so many people no longer have a primary care doctor and their medical care is so haphazard and there's no continuity of care. The idea of being an all-electronic kind of record keeper at Amazon One Medical is that your records are all digitized and can be seen by anyone you're talking to on a chat or a video conference anywhere in America who is dealing with your medical issues you're having 
at that time. It's all set up, though, to be virtual, although you can go to a physical office. And there are things a doctor or medical professional can successfully diagnose and treat in a virtual session. But many times what you need is you need to actually be seen in person by a human. So, yeah, it, it is obviously a significant improvement over having no continuity of care at all. I think time will tell or won't show that Amazon One Medical is a good idea or not a good idea. We'll know with time, but it's just one of the conundrums going on with healthcare because one of the things is people who end up with traditional health insurance many times find that doctors don't like that insurance. And you're looking around for someone that will see you, that will take care of you. And so there you are, not as somebody who's uninsured who has no primary care doctor. You're somebody who has insurance and you're having to struggle to find someone who will see you. The real problem is the extreme shortage that I've addressed before of doctors willing to practice primary care. Why is it that they don't want to practice primary care overwhelmingly? Because they took so many years and spent so much money to go through medical school. And on the totem pole of pay, being a pediatrician or primary care doctor is absolutely the lowest pay there is. And that's why you're going to see in the United States that primary care overwhelmingly is going to be provided by nurse practitioners and physician assistants because nobody who has an MD by his or her name wants to do it anymore. But this is a, this is a problem. One other thing I want to reinforce that came up recently in a question, know that when you're being referred out for tests or imaging, many times being a cash payer will get you a lower price than what you have from your own health plan. And know about self-dealing where behind the curtain, most doctor practices now are in a network where they're either owned by or they're a prisoner of a particular hospital system. So all their referrals are within that major hospital system that charges as much as 20 times street price for something that you are being referred to to have done. So know this, be aware of it, and know that because of the money you're having to pay out of your pocket, you've got to shop around. With insurance, we get so many complaints, particularly with our Team Clark Consumer Action Center, hearing from people who the insurance company denies payment for something or denies authorization for something. Know that this is a cat and mouse game where, in fact, there's a whistleblower thing that one of the major insurers, in this case Cigna, is rejecting claims without ever reviewing them and waiting to see, allegedly, if people come back to challenge the denial. Most people just take that denial and they say, oh, well, I don't have coverage. And the reality is you have to be willing to be your own advocate and fight back because so often it's a cynical attempt by an insurer to avoid paying your bills. Uh, gosh, did I kind of draw a big circle about how messed up healthcare is in the United States? 
I did. All right. We'll go to questions now. This one's from Dave in Missouri. Mr. Howard. Oh, come on. Just kidding. This Hi, Clark. Clark stinks, he said, know. just kidding. Hi, Clark. I had surgery to remove a basal cell carcinoma last year, and Ooh. I was invoiced by the doctor for $1,200. Well, first of all, wait. I hope that you're doing well, that you are A-OK. Mm-hmm. I was invoiced by the doctor for $1,200, though the insurance company disallowed the charge because they failed to get prior approval. They meaning the, the, the doctor. dermatologist? Because I had met my deductible, I would have been responsible for 20% of the bill. Would there be any negative financial consequences if I offered to pay the 20%? He's a good doctor, and I don't want to burn any bridges by stiffing him on the bill. That said, I don't think I should be held responsible due to an error by the doctor's office. Any suggestions? Yeah, so you're asking me a moral, ethical, and practical question. Because the doctor may turn you over to a collection agency that may report this, and this is a large enough one, that it could, in fact, affect your credit. Then on the other hand, you're looking at it from a different perspective. Good doctor, you know, they messed up. I want them to at least have $240 of the $1,200. Call the office and talk with the office manager and lay out the circumstance that they had failed to properly or the, the insurance alleges that they had failed to improperly pre-cert and they may have a rep at the insurance company that with documentation, they may uh, go ahead and run it through as a valid claim, even though they've denied it initially. So you want to talk with that office manager, but what you should do is the 240 you would have had to pay, you should go ahead and pay and tell the office manager you're paying the deductible that you, that you would have paid if there had not been the problem with the insurance company that that was their problem. Don't get into a uh, spitting match with them. You, this is a collegial conversation I want you to have with the office manager at the practice. I would You're al- looking funny. I would put it in writing too. I would give the check with a letter and have a copy and just saying this is what happened and this is what I'm paying. Just okay. to document it, you know, because okay. they might say, oh, it was a, that was just a down payment on what you owe us. And Right. That's, you know. a, that's a good idea. You never know. Okay. Eugene in Pennsylvania says, we are thinking about having a pool built in our backyard. What is the best way to get a quality product for a fair price while in this inflation and recession time we're in? So Eugene, I actually have good news for you. Inflation has fallen significantly and is in fact the lowest it's been in two years now. And we're headed the right direction, but it is requiring a slowdown in the economy to do it. And there are some people who are going to get hurt in that. One of the fields that's already showing hurt, anything involved with home construction. In fact, it's one of the fields right now that there are fewer jobs than there are people looking for work. Where you think about for the last few years, uh, residential construction had far more openings than there were people to fill them. That has now reversed. So labor is much more available for home things. The pool market went berserk starting in 20 when people started to be more about being at home and everybody was clamoring to get a pool built yesterday. The prices went crazy. That cycle is over. And so you're going to actually find that pools will be cheaper to build now than they would have been a couple of years ago. You want to get multiple quotes. You want to also 
check references thoroughly because pool companies vary in quality and reliability, and it's an area you need to be very careful about. Check Better Business Bureau reports on any pool company. Know that the problem you've got is you have to really be willing to get in the pool when it's not warm enough because you're in Pennsylvania. (laughs) I cannot do swimming in a pool when the outside temperature is below about 85 degrees. Well, there are pool heaters and hot tubs. Yeah, but you get out of there and, and it's just not that warm. I am such, I'm, I can handle any level of heat, but cold temperatures, oh, I can't do them. Traumatizing. <laughs> this is from Greg in Georgia. AT&T Uverse sent us an email advising that they're increasing our cost by $5 a month unless we go to paperless billing and auto pay. We're already on paperless billing, but not auto pay. We prefer that no one have the ability to get money from our account. How do you feel about this? So there are a number of companies going to this thing, cell phone carriers and the rest, going to things that if you don't pay electronically, automatically, by auto pay, they're going to charge you more. Because the problem they're having is when somebody doesn't pay, they're having the expense of reminding them. (laughs) And if necessary, having somebody from the collection team go after them. So it's almost like an insurance policy for them offering you a lower price of $5 a month is the most common number because it saves them so much money down the road. So if you can, with this provider, pay auto pay by credit card, you have tremendous protections from any abusive behavior by the company. So I would feel comfortable doing the auto pay, getting the $5 discount or avoiding a $5 a month higher charge simply by having it tied in with a credit card. You do have more risk when you're paying auto pay through your checking account. And you may have heard me talk about how you cordon off your finances when you're dealing with someone you're not sure you can trust, i.e. a gym membership that's automatically debiting you. And that's why I talk about having a separate account, many times online bank, no fee for having a checking account, no minimum with them. And something like this that's in a higher risk category of allowing an auto pay, you pay it out of this separate account. And then there's not a lot of money there at risk in that separate account. And you don't have to worry as much about abuses by the provider. The greatest abuse, you're no longer a customer and they continue to take your money. If you have a separate account it's debiting from and you're worried about them maybe abusing you, i.e. health clubs, fitness centers, you can go ahead and shut that account down when you discontinue whatever service it is that's drafting you by auto pay from a checking account. Oh, and you do auto pay with this provider. I do. Yeah, I have them for my internet and we do it on a credit card. So so you are allowed to oh, do yeah. a credit card. They let, yeah, they let Because yeah, with the cell phone carriers, you know, the cell phone carriers are now starting to say, if you don't pay by a draft from a checking account, we're going to charge you more if you're paying mm. by credit card. So it... It's becoming a game of cat and mouse (laughs) between you and me and the businesses that we do business with and how they want your money in the way they want your money instead of how you would like them to have your money. So I want to talk about something, though, that's an out-and-out abuse 
And you got to be aware about how much danger you're in from something so mundane, charging your cell phone or your laptop. I'm going to tell you what you need to know next. So there's something I did on TV years ago that has become a bigger problem today. And I want to just read you the latest FBI alert on this. It's short. Avoid using free charging stations in airports, hotels, or shopping centers. I would say or any public place. Bad actors have figured out ways to use public USB ports to introduce malware and monitoring software onto your devices. Carry your own charger and USB cord and use an electrical outlet instead. Okay, so let's say you're in the airport and you're sitting at a gate where next to the seat you're sitting in, they have a USB you can plug into and charge most often what people are charging as they're traveling is their phone. Or you could be most anywhere where you can plug into a little USB thing. They're usually USB-As, the fatter ones that are available instead of the more common now being used by manufacturers, USB-C, which is the smaller one. But that's what the installed base is, is these USB-As. So a criminal in a public space, coffee shop, most anywhere you could be, they will then download malware right through their USB-A they plug in, and then every time somebody plugs in there, they're able to steal information from their device by uploading on it malware that is spyware. So it is really simple. That's why, I don't know if you've noticed, there's more and more for sale ultra-tiny plug-in chargers for travel or for running around day-to-day that can fit in a guy's pocket, a woman's purse. And what they do is they're flat and the prongs fold into the device. And when you're somewhere you need to charge your device, your phone, you just pop up the prongs, plug it in, plug the USB into it, and you eliminate this danger. I mean, this is one of those things that has been a problem for the last many years. And, you know, we've had all the angles we've talked about with how your cell phones unlock so much of your life and particularly are a direct link to so much of your finances. So if a criminal is able surreptitiously, you never have any idea that they've got all the keys to unlock the kingdom of what's on your phone. They don't even have your phone, but they've got what they need because they did that virus and then they're able to grab whatever they want. Spyware allows them to grab what's on your phone. That's why you don't use public charging. And you eliminate all this just by plugging in to Tom Edison's thing, plugging into electricity, you're good. So simple thing that avoids a terrible, terrible series of problems that can occur in your life. Now, if you have no money, don't worry. But if you have money, that's when you really need to worry about this crime going on. And why do they target airports and hotels? Because it is an article of faith that people who fly regularly and stay in hotels tend to have more money than the typical American. Krista? 
Okay, Tony in Wisconsin says, Clark, years back when I paid off my mortgage, my credit score went down quite a bit, mid-700s down to the mid-600s. Ooh. I currently have just two primary credit cards that I pay off monthly and one auto loan. My credit karma score is 825. My auto loan will be paid off in a couple of months. Will my credit score go down again when I pay off my car? And if so, would opening another credit card at this time help? Yes. Okay. Multiple credit cards help. When the credit scoring model is done by Fair Isaac, the MyFICO people, or done by the co-op of the three major credit bureaus called the Vantage Score, they all look for multiple types of credit because they find they have a, a more complete picture. If you have a mortgage, you have a car loan, you have home improvement loan, you got credit cards, whatever. So if you are somebody who this is a success tax, you have no mortgage anymore and you're soon you're going to have no car payment. They don't have as much deep data to go by and that's why their scoring models get confused and may lower your score some when all you have is credit cards. All I have and all I've had for gosh so long I can't remember the only credit I have is credit cards, but I have no problem with my credit score at all because as long as you know how to manipulate that score when your credit cards only, you'll be absolutely fine. Now, what do I mean by manipulation? The second most important factor in your credit score is how much of your available credit you're using. That's roughly a third of what makes up your credit score. So if you keep what's known as your utilization very low, if your credit card only, you keep it down around 10% or less, then your credit score will be absolutely fine even having no other lines of credit. Now, this doesn't mean, oh, well, I pay my balance in full every month. It's the balance reported is the balance on your closing date. Now, if you pay it in full, you pay no interest, but you still are showing a balance. It's the ratio of the available credit you have on cards versus what you've charged in a month on the cards that establishes roughly that third of your credit score. So that's why people who don't have any outstanding mortgage, don't have any other credit at all other than cards, you want to have a lot of available credit because that's what sends your credit score way back up. And Gary in Georgia says, your advice of waiting until 70 to collect Social Security is the best advice in most cases. I was one of the few percent of retirees that still had a minor child at home. So I took my Social Security at age 62. My wife was able to collect for caring for my son until he turned 16, and he collected as well. Together, it amounted to over $2,300 per month. When he turned 16, her Social Security payment stopped, and my son's increased to close to $1,700 per month. He gets that amount until he graduates high school or turned 19 years old, whichever comes first. I did the calculations of collecting now versus waiting until I turned 70. I would break even if I lived to 92 years old. Wow. So I was much better taking mine early and collecting for him for eight years. Uh, this is why I talk about, thank you for this. First of all, I assume you're not allowing your son to graduate till he's 19. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> he's going to have to slow walk through high school so you get an additional <laughs> year of the money. But <laughs> just kidding. Um, so this is why I always recommend using software tools like the free one from AARP 
one of the paid ones that there are now a handful of those available. One was prominent for so long and now they have competitors. Uh, the one that I have the most familiarity with is MaximizeMySocialSecurity.com. costs 40 bucks to be able to run a full analysis on your exact family situation and determine the absolutely ideal moment to start taking Social Security. And what you led with is true, and that is that most people benefit the most from waiting till age 70 to take Social Security, but that's most people, that's not everybody, and that's why running a personal, individualized analysis is so valuable. Cindy in Florida says, what is the best place to purchase tires? Without doubt, the three major warehouse clubs, Costco Wholesale, Sam's Club, and BJ's Wholesale. In fact, we did an analysis of this on Clark.com, and we found that it was actually true that your runaway best deal on tires is buying from one of the three warehouse clubs because the benefits they offer, in addition to what you pay for the tires, the coverage they offer for many, many years to come is so superior to non-warehouse sellers of tires that they are runaway the best places to go. If you choose not to be or doesn't fit in your life to be a warehouse club member, we have just updated our article on uh, the best places to buy tires. And I got to tell you a funny thing. Uh, right now, I am without a car. Uh, Krista was going to give me a ride <laughs> to the studio today, but my wife did. I had mentioned I'd had a uh, physical. I walked home from the doctor yesterday. It was four and a half miles. It was great to get that exercise. And so anyway, we're without a car for the funniest reason. So my son had a flat tire and it was original equipment tire. And so it has no coverage at all. And the tire was not repairable. He went to a tire place that had the tire in stock. It was going to be very expensive and you have no coverage after the sale. And then they try the strong arm to sell you a hugely expensive road hazard thing. And I said, I'm sorry, Grant, we're just going to be without a car for a while and be one car short because we're going to have to wait till the tires come in. I checked both Sam's and Costco. I get them quicker at Costco. They were a little cheaper in this case and they still haven't come in. So I'm still, I'm using public transit. I'm doing all kinds of things because I wanted the better deal and I wanted the better service after the sale that we're getting buying the tires from Costco. And I just got a notice, this was a week ago that we ordered them. They just shipped today. <laughs> you do so walk the walk, Clark Howard. I do. I mean, I, and well, it's great because I'm getting more steps in. Okay. And so this is really great for me getting extra steps in. And so you have to breathe, live, and eat what you say, and that's what we do here. And so it makes sense for me to, uh, in a perverse kind of way, do what I'm doing to save money and have a better service after the sale experience. But go read our tire article. You'll find what you can do if you're not a member of one of the warehouse club chains. And I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And 
My walk home today, just so you know, will be, oh, it's uh, 4.1 miles. I'm happy to drive you. But I won't get any exercise if you drive me, and it would take you out of your way. I don't mind. To go home. I, I vote to walk. And so look at the positive side. Being physically smart is making me physically fit. What a deal. It's a deal. <laughs> take care.